Well, thank you, Marty, and worship team as well. And I just want to thank you for coming as well, and welcome to uh, Grace Point Church Paradise. My name is Greg Peterson. I'm the executive pastor here, and I'm looking forward to uh, this four-part series that we're in, this part two here this week. And if you're listening online as well, we want to welcome you, or you're listening via our podcast later, uh, we welcome you to that as well. We're glad to have you engage in this way. And if you're here, and if you were here last week, if if you weren't, you can watch that video but, uh, on Facebook, but um, we're in this series simply called Stand Firm. And the, the idea of this series is really to kind of look at, okay, how do, how do we stand firm in this life? How, how are we able to stand firm with the ways of life that hit us and the times of the struggles that come in, in everybody's life? How are we able to stand firm? And even, um, even in good times, what does it take? What should we be doing? What are the things that we, we want to check off the list and make sure we're doing in order to be able to stand firm when those tough times come our way? And how do we know that we're even doing enough? Like, I don't know about you, but there's times where I feel like I'm, I'm trying and I'm doing things and I'm tired, but I don't know if I'm doing the right things. I don't know if I'm doing enough of the right things or in order to be able to stand firm, and especially in my faith in God. And, and what are those things? What are those things that we should do to stand firm? And in this series, we're looking at a letter that Paul wrote to the early church in Ephesus, and it's found in Ephesians, and we're in chapter 6 is where we're looking at the end of his letter. And it's a letter that he writes to encourage the church in Ephesus, and he encourages them, and he's, he's telling them how we should be living, who we are in Christ, all these things, how we should be relating one to another. And at the end, he, he goes into this, how do we stand firm? And last week, we started with, and I'll start with verse 10 through verse 12 of Ephesians chapter 6. Finally, be strong in the Lord, and in His mighty power, put on the full armor of God, so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against authorities, against the powers of the dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. And last week we looked at this opening that letter uh, that Paul wrote in this, this section of how to be strong in the Lord and in His strength. We looked at this idea of, of looking at things not in the flesh, not like the way the world does, not looking at our issues and our struggles and, and trying to solve them in our own, man, our own might, our own strength, and just having it fail over and over again, but that we should go to the source, and we need to fight the way um, through God and His power and find out and solve our issues, see our issues from, the, from God's perspective, instead of looking at things from our fleshly perspective, but look at them from God's perspective. But it left us last week with this question of what do we do when we're honest and we are saying, well, but the things of life, the struggles, the ideas that I'm not good enough, I'm not, I'm not smart enough, I'm not strong enough, I'm not to get through this, I'm not, uh, all these things, the, the struggles of life when, when we're honest become larger and bigger than our faith. How do we stand firm when the stuff around us is just overwhelming us, demanding our attention? How do we then stand firm? And Paul continues in his letter, and this morning we want to continue as well. So starting at verse 13, Therefore, put on the full armor of God, so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you've done everything, to stand Stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist and with the breastplate of righteousness in place 
and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. So we look at this, um, Paul, Paul continues, and, and he, he, he says, okay, if you want to be strong in the Lord, if you want to be able to stand firm against everything that happens, first of all, I want you to put on the full armor of God. And I love this, this little phrase, put on, because it's a little different than next week we'll be looking at a little bit about what he tells us to take up. But this week, it's, he's looking, there's three things that he identifies that we need to put on the full armor of God. And pull on in the, in the, put on in the original Greek has some other meanings and other kind of uh, words that give a little bit more depth to it. It's not just put on and just kind of over top or casually, but it's, it's really this idea of engulfing you. It's put on, it's clothing yourself with the full armor of God. It's, and I, I love this phrase, it's sink into Sink into the full armor of God. You know, I don't know about you guys, but I, you know, I don't know if you've ever had like a lounge chair that was leather, and Sunday afternoons you just love to like sink into that thing and just let it engulf you. And the feeling that that was, or women, it might be that blanket that you, you love and you wrap it around that all you can see is like your nose out of it kind of thing, and you're, you're laying on the couch and it's 100 degrees out, but for some reason you're in this blanket, and it's just this idea of sinking into, and that's what Paul is saying about this armor of God. He's saying, I want you to sink into this. I want you to put it on. I want you to clothe yourself with the full armor of God. And this, this idea, that he uses this imagery of the armor of a soldier. And for the people in Ephesus, this would have been a very common thing. This is something they would have seen everywhere. It's not like us where we don't really see the military that often. This would be a little bit more like the police where you, they were everywhere. You saw them everywhere. And Paul himself was in prison at this point. And so he's likely looking at an armed guard, and, you know, a soldier in front of him. But he uses this, this imagery of this armor. And one thing that's interesting about this imagery of the armor is it identifies that person as something beyond themselves. It identifies that person who's wearing all that armor that they belong to Rome and they, they carry authority where they walk and they have the, the ability to carry out authority and rule. And whatever, you don't really know that soldier. You don't know them personally, but you know what they represent. And sometimes it can be good things. You could be like, man, I'm so glad we have the, you know, the, the, the protection of our, our soldiers here, our Roman soldiers here, and the armor they're wearing, they're ready to go in case something would happen. Or if you're being persecuted in the church, it could be a bad thing when you see them. I mean, either way, it's nothing personal to the person who's wearing the uniform, but just the, the armor itself shows good or bad. It, it shows who they are, that they identify, and they are part of something that is beyond them. And we, we see this today, even when you see a policeman. You don't, might not know that policeman, but depends what your situation you're in. You might be thankful just to see that uniform, to see that armor, if you will, to see what that represents, that, hey, there's a little chaos going on. He's here. He has authority to control that, he or she. Um, you know, or if you're speeding and you get pulled over, you might not have the same feeling about seeing that uniform, but there's this idea that it's not personal. It's not that you're looking at that person, but that this uniform represents something. Another illustration that might, be, um, might hit home a little more with you is a, a certain uniform. <laughs> woo! Yeah, yeah. To some of you, this is like, woo! Yeah, my team, that's right. Yeah, 
Yeah, and some years it's great. Some years it's like, world champions, that's us. Super Bowl champions, yeah. You know, other years, it's a building year, you know. A lot of injuries. Well, you know, we're doing all right, you know. But it represents something. And, and even, even if I wear this, it represents something. Um, if I go to, a, you know, a game, a Philly there, and I wear this, People assume that I'm, I'm already family. All of a sudden, I got 60,000 closest friends that I've never met in my life, that I share really nothing with, that they use language and drink some things that I don't, and, you know, but we're best buds, man. You know, we're, we score, we're singing songs. I don't even know the words to them, but we're singing. We're having fun. We're having five and people, I have no idea who they are, you know, but it's a great time. I'm, I'm welcomed because I'm wearing this that I borrowed from my friend because I don't have one, you know, that I, and honestly, if you really knew me, you would know I really don't care at all who wins this game. I really don't, but I, I just figured this would probably be better to wear this in Philly, you know? Um, but what happens, what happens if I would wear this at a different stadium? One where it's a little warmer. One where the other team has a really big blue star right in the middle of it. What happens when I wear this same uniform, the same outfit? All of a sudden, I'm treated a little bit differently. I'm seen a little bit differently. And all of a sudden, I'm not quite as welcomed. It might take me longer to get out of the parking lot because no one's letting me merge in all of a sudden for some reason. And they don't know me. They don't know that, honestly, I don't care who wins the game. I really don't. This is the only thing I had that was clean that day. You know, I don't know. But, you know, it, it, it doesn't, um, it transcends, this transcends who, who I am. And maybe you can identify with this as a Christian. Maybe you can identify that there are times when we put on our Christianity, when people know that we're a Christian, that we're a Christ follower, that all of a sudden, there's good or bad. In some circles, it's a good thing. Oh, man, you're welcome, brother. Come on in, man. You're, you know, I trust you. In other circles, no. Man, I, got, I, don't, I don't even know who you are, but I found out that you're a Christian. Man, I, I don't want anything to do with you. You're a bunch of hypocrites. You just don't do this, and you're hurt. You know, all, all this negative stuff that can come with it without even knowing, just simply because they know that I'm a Christian. And Jesus himself even warned the disciples when they left, when he was going to leave, he's like, hey guys, I'm going to leave you. And, you know, don't worry, the Holy Spirit's coming. You know, I have no idea what that is, but don't worry about it. And, but I just want to let you know, guys, I want you to let you know one thing. This world is going to hate you. Be of good cheer, you know. This world is going to see you and they're killing me and they're going to want to kill you as well. I just want to give you a heads up that because of who you are in me, because you're a Christian, the world is going to kill you. And not only are they going to kill you, they're going to think that they're serving God. They're going to think that they're doing a very righteous thing by getting rid of you. And this time is coming. I just want you to know about it. And sometimes there's struggles in our lives. Sometimes there's things that we're going through that have absolutely nothing to do with you. They, a lot of spiritual struggles that we deal with do. They have, and we'll talk about them a little bit later. There's a lot of things that, that, that have to do with us that are personal attacks to us. But there are some struggles in life and there are some things in life that will come your way simply because you put on the full armor of God. Just because you clothe yourself, you sink into, you identify 
with Christ. And there's going to be struggles and there's going to be things that come. And so that leaves us with a choice. How much do we want to put that on when those struggles get real? Or how much do we want to try on our own and try things our own way and kind of get our own identity and, and try on this side? And we, we have this battle and sometimes we get caught in between of like, well, I kind of want to, I know I should, but yet there's this and I don't know if I want, you know, we get caught in between. But we're, we're left with this choice. And Paul says, okay, well, look, if you want to be strong in the Lord and in His strength, if you want to be able to stand firm in life, you need to put on you need to clothe yourself. You need to sink into the full armor of God. Not just partial, the full armor of God. And Paul brings out three things. And there, there are many things that Paul could have brought out in this idea of putting on the armor of God. But he picked three things. And I, and I think part of it, I'm guessing, was just because, hey, it's a new church. I want, let me give you three things to do because if I give you 500, you're not going to remember, remember any of them. So let me give you three. And, and as I looked and studied these three a little bit more, I realized that, man, they really are the core of our faith. They are really three things that Paul says that we should put on and take up that are really um, just instrumental and, and that solid that we should be wearing all the time. Not just when troubles come and stress comes that we put on. No, it's, it's, it's something that we as Christians are clothed with all the time, that we put on, that we sink into. And the first thing that he talks about is righteousness. That we're supposed to put on his righteousness. And I know, I don't, I don't know about you, but I know that I've spent too much time in my life trying to be righteous on my own trying to be good enough on my own. I need, to, I need to read my Bible a little bit more, you know. I need to, I need to, to pray a little harder, you know. Man, there's, there's, man, I feel like there's some tough things coming my way. I need to, man, I need to tithe. I need to tithe 10%, you know, that way God will be pleased. And I need to do these things. And, and all this is religion without a relationship. And I'm trying to do things on my own. And man, things are going really, really bad. I might even tithe 12% this week just, just to get God's favor. And I want, I want to do these things. And we have Paul who, who recognizes this. Paul, in another letter, says, um, you know, if you want to earn righteousness or if anyone deserves to, to be in a right standing, it, it's me. I've done everything right. I've been to the, to the you know, I've been a, the Hebrew of Hebrews. I've done all for zeal. I've killed people. I've, I mean, I've, I've done it all. But then Paul says, but I consider it all rubbish. Anything I could have gained on my own, I consider it pure rubbish when I compare it to being found in Christ and in His righteousness and seeing having a righteousness that doesn't come from the law, but that comes from faith. A righteousness not of my own. And see, the, the, the tricky part in this, this one is what we're doing and what people are seeing of us it, it, looks, it can look very much the same, but the source could be totally different. We could be a good Christian person, going to church every Sunday, I'm tithing, I'm volunteering, I'm even volunteering in the nursery. I mean, God's got to give special grace for that, right? Um, you know, I'm doing all these things, but I'm doing them because I want to try to earn a right spot with God, I'm doing these things and I'm, I'm failing and I know that I keep falling short and I'm not sure why they're working, not, it's why it's not working because I'm, I'm trying hard and I'm doing all these things but I'm trying to earn a right spot with God. 
And I'm trying to earn a right spot with you, with others around me. They see me, they're like, wow, he's a good guy. He's doing the right things. He's praying, he's reading, he's doing all these things. That's, that's great. Man, he must be so good. And I, you know, they say, yeah, I'm a good guy. You know? But inside, I know that it's not working. But when Paul says, I want you to put on the righteousness of Christ, what that means is, is there isn't anything I need to do except for take on Christ's righteousness. And an interesting thing that, that happens when we do that is all of a sudden, the fruit of the Spirit, the Holy Spirit moves in our lives, and we're able to walk into things and, and do things, some of those same things, in ways that are beyond ourselves. Because we're in his identity. Ways that are, are, we'll see joy in your life in areas that really there shouldn't be joy. You will see peace in your life. You'll see patience in your life coming from a source that you don't really even know. You don't understand because you know it's nothing that you can do. Nothing that you've tried to do. Didn't work. But we have this fruit of the Spirit, this stuff that happens in us because we are placed with Christ. So we don't do things, we don't do these righteous acts because we're trying to earn a spot and earn our righteousness and prove our righteousness. We do these things, these things are fruit because we are in Him, because we took on the full armor of God. We took on His identity. We took, put on His jersey, if you will. We sink into His righteousness, and out of that righteousness comes fruitful living, more abundantly than what we could ever, ever, ever do on our own. So Paul says the first thing you want to do or one of the things you want to do to be able to stand firm, put on Christ's righteousness. Put on his righteousness. The second thing that he talks about is, is putting on your feet um, the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace and having your feet fitted with that. This was very important to an early soldier who fought hand-to-hand -hand combat. They had little spikes. I mean, little spikes. I think they were like two inches long. So they weren't little. They were long spikes that would help give them sure footing because it was extremely important for them in two ways at least. Because if you stumbled and you fell, you were left extremely vulnerable because you're fighting from the ground. That's not a good place to be. Um, the other thing was, if you didn't, weren't sure of your footing, you're looking down. You're worried about your footing. You're, you're worried about this and that, and then you're left vulnerable to the attacks of the enemy as well. And we see the same thing in our lives today. We see the same things pan out in our lives today, that there's things that come into our lives that just bring disruption, and, and we struggle on our own to find peace, and we try things that doesn't work. We try a little harder, and it just doesn't work, and we try to find peace, but we just find ourselves being anxious and being filled up, and, and Satan distracts us with all these things, and probably actually put one of the most common things is relationships with others. All of a sudden, there's turmoil with friends or there's turmoil with people that you love and things aren't going right. And, and we see all this peace and unsettled, this unsettledness come in, a lack of peace. And we try things on our own and we become so focused on that and we become so attentive to that that we are left blindsided by the attacks that can come around us because we're focused on trying to find that. But Paul says, I want you to put on the armor of God, the full armor of God. I want you to clothe yourself. I want you to sink into the armor of God. And when you do that, you will have a peace. You'll have his peace. You'll have the idea that he is sovereign and he is in control. 
You have the idea of like David had when he said, you know what, he enables my feet to go to the highest of heights. Or you might have that faith and that peace that Job had when he says, you know, though God may slay me, I will still put my hope in him. Though he slay me, I'll put my hope in him. And Paul, in another letter, says, you know what? May the peace of God that transcends, transcends all understanding guard your heart and your mind. And there's this peace that comes when we put on the full armor of God. There's this peace that comes through the Holy Spirit that enables us to walk and not worry about where we're going. The ground is still unsettled. The stuff around us is still there. The struggles are still there. Every, the chaos of this life will still be there, but we have a sure footing because it comes from the armor of God and not ourselves and not our own efforts and our own work, but it comes from Him and it will enable us to be able to keep our eyes up, to keep moving forward because we know we have our feet fitted with the gospel that comes from peace, the gospel of peace. And the world, you know, will look around and the world sees this. The world sees the righteousness beyond what is normal. The world sees a peace that passes understanding and they, they're confused by it, honestly. They're not sure. They're like, how in the world can you walk through that? I don't understand that. And, I, and for those of you that know my story and my family's story, you know, the last six years, um, we lost my, my wife to cancer. The last six years have just been increasingly hard each year after year. Um, when we first found out, then we were clear for a little bit when it came back three years ago, and then a year ago this month actually when she passed away. And I can tell you and I can testify that I have not walked through anything this hard in my whole life, not even close to anything like this. But I can also tell you that he has given peace because of his armor, because of who he is, not because of me, but because of putting on his armor, his accepting his sovereignty has enabled me and our family to, to walk in the midst of this. And I encourage you to, to understand that same kind of peace, to be able to, to not try on our own, but to receive and see and experience that peace that passes all understanding. And the last thing that, the third thing that he mentioned was, um, he mentioned it first, I wanted to do it last because it's actually so important. And I want to leave this in our minds because this, this belt of truth that he talks about is so important to us in spiritual warfare, especially in battles and struggles. This is the primary thing. The, our minds, the stuff that goes through our heads, you know, they say that you, that you talk to yourself more than anyone else talks to you. The idea that um, these, these things that, that are around us, that people say about us, and after a while, if enough people say them about us, all of a sudden we think, well, maybe, maybe they're right, but maybe not, maybe, maybe no, but, but maybe they are. And the more it happens, the more after a while we, we, we accept it as, as truth. Even though that we know it's lies, but we accept it as truth. And after a while, we, we not only accept it as truth, as we, we give it authority in our lives. And we say, you know what, You're, yeah, that's right, I, I never did amount to anything, really. Or I never did, um, you know, even though I tried harder and, you know, tried to earn things. And, you know, I, I've always had a problem with anger. It's just who I am, I guess, you know. And I just, I always had this problem with this sin. And I've tried things, and, and I just, you know, it keeps coming there. And I, 
you know, all these, these truths, I guess I'm really not worthy. I guess I'm not uh, loved by God. I can't, how could God love somebody like me? I, th- I think everyone's right. And we have these truths that come in, that these lies, these deceptions that come in, but they come in as truth, and we start receiving them as truths. And so Paul says, no, I want you to put on the belt of truth. I want you to recognize who you are. Who you are does not ebb and flow. It's not based on um, our environment, our experiences. It's based on who God says we are. It's written down for us in His book. It says you're loved. It says you're not forsaken. It says you will never be alone. It says you're a chosen child of God. Written down for you, for me. And it's His truth. It doesn't change. It's been there since the words were spoken. It's His truth. It doesn't change. It doesn't fluctuate like the, the things of the world, even in the world's eyes, sometimes we'll be like, okay, well, I'm going to be more gentle. Yes, I am. And I'm going to try it, but we're really waiting for people to respond and validate that for us instead of just saying, you know what, I want to put on the belt of truth. And His truth says that I'm a child of God. And His truth that, I, that the Holy Spirit will give me self-control. That's the identity that I want to put on. That's who I want to be. Um, so Paul gives us these three things. Paul says, if, if you want to stand firm, if you want to be able to stand firm in this life and after everything that happens, to stand firm, or if you want to walk in, in His power and His strength, the first thing is to, to make sure you have a proper perspective, that you're seeing the source and not the surface of things, that you're seeing things from God's point of view, that you're not viewing things like the world views them, that we don't fight against flesh and blood. But then he tells us, I want you to put on, I want you to clothe yourself all the time. I want you to sink into his righteousness, his peace, and his truth. I want you to wear that. When you wear that, you can stand firm. But what happens? What happens when the heat gets turned up a little bit? When the battles become a little bit too close? When you can feel the darts coming and the arrows, the flaming arrows coming, and you can feel the little jabs, and they're a little personal, and they're a little closer than just normal life kind of thing. And you put on the, the armor of God, but what are those things, when the heat is turned up, what are those things that we need to take up in those moments in order to be able to stand firm? And Paul in his letter continues in that, and we want to continue in that next week as well with looking at what we should be taking up. This Sunday, I wanted to end a little bit differently. Um, at this time, I'd go ahead and invite the worship team to come forward and to uh, get prepared to, to lead us in a closing song. I want to use a, a video here this morning. Um, and, and just to give you a heads up, this is a seven-minute video. And I did it basically because I didn't have to preach that long. Um, no, it's, it's, it's very powerful and it's very um, on point with this idea of truth, the belt of truth, this idea of, of what do we do with the voices that say that we're not good enough, the voices, the realities that can become true and the authority that we can give them. How do we walk? How do we put on that belt of truth? And it's a spoken word, which is a modern way of saying it's poetry. It's a poem by um, a lady, a woman called Hosanna Wong. And you can find her stuff on hosannapoetry.com. She has a lot of great stuff on a lot of great issues um, on, on, on just the way that she's very effective in communicating this. 
So I want to ask you, we're going to go ahead and, and show this video, but I, I want to go ahead, um, just invite you to sit back and let it sink in. Because there are truths that all of us, if we're honest, all of us, there are lies that we've been listening too long that we're giving too much authority to. And I, I just invite you to, to just soak this in as, as she speaks and just to allow the Spirit of God to speak to you in those areas that you might be listening to lies a little too long or giving maybe a little bit too much authority to. So at this time, uh, let's turn our attention to the screen and to Hosanna Wong. God spends a lot of time in the Bible telling us who we are. It's almost as if he knew that we would doubt who that was from time to time. It's as if he saw it coming, that we'd spend our whole lives searching for what our identity, what our real name was, and that there'd be many moments in our lives where we'd let different kinds of names define us. When we've looked in the mirror, compared ourselves to pictures and heard the name, ugly when we've been left by loved ones people we trusted once and heard the name unworthy when we've been drowning in discouragement living in a seemingly never-ending crisis and heard the name forgotten when we've had our hopes up and our hearts open only to be brought down by closed doors and we've heard rejected when we've looked for infinite affirming love through lesser physical fleshly versions when we gave it away or when it was stolen and we heard impure, we heard garbage. When we go to other vices to ease our pain and we hear addicts, we hear forever broken. When we feel like we're living in the shadow of someone else's calling and we hear second place. When our pain cripples us to a point where we don't even know how to let others in and we hear lonely when our past seems too gross for others to forgive and we hear disgusting, it's overwhelming. These voices we're constantly hearing, it's suffocating. This air of constant critique and comparing and it's sort of amazing. The people whose voices I've allowed to name me the power I've given to my past, to my mirror, and to my surroundings, and enabled them to identify me. The amount of years I've spent living up to whatever others say over me. But God says something else about me. It's like he knew there would be other voices. So he wrote his voice down in a timeless book of truths that would remind us over and over again in the moments when lies would block his truths and somehow make us forget. So I'm going back to the source, not the people I've allowed to represent God to me, but the actual, literal, tangible words that he has written down for me. And there's some other names he's given to me. John 15, 15, he calls me friend. First Thessalonians 1, 4, he calls me chosen. Ephesians 2, 10, he calls me his workmanship. He calls me his art. He calls me handmade. He calls me purposed and fashioned for good things. First Corinthians 6, 19, he calls 
my body a temple. He calls it the residence of the Holy Spirit. Acts 1-8, he calls me his messenger to the world. Galatians 3-26, he calls me his child. Romans 5-8, he calls me greatly loved. John 8-36, he calls me free, free indeed. 2 Corinthians 5-17, he calls me brand new. And it's amazing how different these names are from the names I'm used to listening to. And in my journey to discover who I really am, in my battle to uncover the truths of myself, I've learned something new about my name. And now this is what I am certain of. My name is not the name the world calls me. My name is not the name my past calls me. My name is not even the name my own mirror calls me, but my name, my name is the name I answer to. And I can choose today from this moment forward to answer to a new name. When I hear lonely, that's not me. When I hear disgusting, that's not me. When I hear unworthy, I don't even look over my shoulder. When I hear broken, they must have confused me. Please look elsewhere. When I hear ugly, abandoned, useless, forgotten, I figure someone just has to remind them. Maybe those were my old names, but they're no longer the names that I'll respond to. My name is the name I've chosen to spend my days living up to. And if these other voices are not saying the same thing that the truth is, I look in my mirror and I repeat this, they have no right to be speaking to you. When you stop answering to all your old names, they stop having power over you. The names that my father, eternity's author, the world's creator has called me are the only names that I answer to. So when I hear a friend of God, that's my name. Because 